0: Good morning, church. Yeah, I'm a little sleepy. I know some of you are too. I woke up extra early this morning. Besides that we had the hour change, But Pastor Adrian is on vacation and he asked me to preach in Spanish. And let me just say it was an honor doing so. I had never preached in Spanish. And it was really, really cool. I'm always saying and I'm repeating myself over and over and over again. God is doing some great things through you guys, through his church, Grace Bible Church. And Grace in Espanol has been just growing and growing. And it's really encouraging to see them come together, congregate, worship. And again, I'm just so proud of Pastor Adrian and his group, how they continue to just impress us. And inviting others. Let me also just say this. We're a family, whether we're Hispanic, whatever, we're all part of his church. So I encourage to pray for each other that not just the Spanish ministry grows, but the English ministry, the French ministry, whatever ministry we go, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's what I wanted to share this morning as an intro. Have you guys ever thought of the end times? I think a lot of us, whether we're believers or not, have that curiosity of the end times. When will Christ return? I remember growing up, I never, ever heard of Jesus Christ returning. I, I even wasn't aware he was coming back. But I did know about the end times and I too was curious. It's not till I became a believer and in God's word for quite a while that I started getting the gist of the end times. Again, many people have tried to predict when this was, would happen or occur. When will Christ return? When is it all over? I kid you not, as I was researching on this topic, I googled the end times, and wow, there's so much information out there. There was a book written in 1989 that the guy, the author who wrote it, was so sure that Christ would return in 89 that he listed the book called, the title of the book was 89 Reason Why Christ is Going to Return in 1989, and then the next year, he wrote another book, in 1990, he wrote a book saying 90 Reasons Why Christ Didn't Return in 89. I'm kidding, guys. That was a joke. I'm just need to be making sure you guys are awake. <laughs> but don't we do that? I think we go to two extremes. When it comes to Christ's return, when it comes to the end times, we go to one extreme and say, I know exactly when it's going to be. I can predict it. I know enough of God's word that I know it's going to happen. As a matter of fact, 2000, remember the 2000K? Everybody was so sure because the Mayan calendar aligned with God's word. And Wah, it's the end of time? Run for the hills. And that's what happens when we're so sure of predicting the end times. Christ's return. We tend to scare people and not encourage them. We start telling him he's going he's gonna to come like a thief in the night. So we interpret things like what scripture tells us and say, you know what, he's coming at night because it says like a thief in the night. And so here we are all awake in the middle of the night, whiting and just being scared of what he's gonna return. And then the next day we're at work, we're like, oh, and your coworkers probably come up and say, he didn't come back, huh? Right? We take it to that extreme. We hear in his word that there's gonna be a trumpet as we're gonna see later on. And those of us that are super excited in a wrong way about his return, maybe in traffic and we hear a horn and all of a sudden, ah, there's a trumpet, this is it. We take it to one extreme, but the other problem with that is that we take it to the other extreme and we're ignorant. We don't know enough. And shame on us pastors that don't teach enough about the end times. And what we're gonna see today in scripture is Paul is going to talk about a particular time of Christ's return called the rapture. And so if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them to 1 Thessalonians. We're continuing in our series on this great letter, this epistle that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, early converts who had a lot of questions, but, he, but Paul was really impressed with the way they were growing He was impressed with their love for each other, their faith in Jesus Christ, and the hope that they were sharing to all the community. As a matter of fact, we read in the first chapter that Paul was saying, I'm so proud of you that people are starting to notice, and you've become a church that other churches want to imitate. But this church had questions. Paul had left them, and so they had questions about certain things. And particularly today, Paul's going to answer one question that this church had. And that question was what's gonna happen to loved ones who have passed away before Christ has returned? What's gonna happen to my spouse that she passed away years ago? What's gonna happen to my brother, my sister, my parents? So Paul's gonna focus on answering that question today. So Paul opens up in chapter four of 1 Thessalonians, verse 13. He says this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. We want you to have information. We want you to know about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Two things I want to flesh out in this opening verse. The first thing is that Paul says... I don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. He uses that word, asleep, to identify those who have passed away, those who are dead. Now, I want to stay here for a little bit because there's some, I believe, wrong teachings out there that many people teach and many people believe that once a person dies, he literally sleeps. In other words, his soul sleeps and his body sleeps. They teach kind of like when we go to sleep, right? Like last night, we fell asleep and then we were so tired that we slept for hours, minus one, because we had to spring whatever forward thing, right? But we slept for hours. And the moment we woke up, we're like, wow, I didn't feel a thing. In the same manner... People interpret this term asleep that once we die, years can pass, thousands of years, hundreds of years. When Christ returns, we are awakened and we say to ourselves, Wow, I didn't feel a thing, like time has stopped. And that is not true. See, our soul never, ever sleeps. The moment anybody puts their trust in Jesus Christ and they die, the moment you and I close our eyes. We immediately open our eyes in our father's arms. Amen. That's what happens. Our body sleeps, but our soul doesn't. Why do I say these things? Because Paul talks about over and over about a person who has fallen asleep, who has gone to be with the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. He says this. Yes, we are of good courage. And we, talking about believers, would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He's saying, "I'd rather be with him in his presence right now." He didn't say, "I know that if I die, then eventually when he returns, I'll awaken his presence." No. He says, "We'd rather be away from the body, but our souls with him." He also talks about this in Philippians chapter one, verse 23. Paul saying, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is is to depart and be with Christ. Why? For that is far better. See, Paul is saying, again, that anyone who puts their trust in Christ, that moment, that instant, we are with him for eternity. We hear about this in the Gospels. If you recall the story, Jesus is crucified and he's got two thieves crucified next to him, to his left and to his right. And one of the thieves looks at Jesus and says, hey, man, it doesn't say that in the, bo- in the Bible, but I'm paraphrasing. He goes, hey, man, if you who you say you are, get us down from here. And then the other thief says, be quiet. You don't know what you're talking about. You and I, we deserve to be crucified. But this man, this man is innocent. And here are the words that I want you to remember. That thieves looks at Jesus, and I can picture him looking in his eyes with tears in his eyes, saying, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And here's a response that Jesus has for that sinful person. He says this, today, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will no longer suffer. Today, you will no longer have tears. Today, because of my work, we have conquered death. The moment, again, any believer closes their eyes, their soul is immediately with their heavenly father. The other thing I want to point out in this verse is the fact that Paul says for us not to mourn. He says, mourn, be sad. It's okay to tear, to cry for your loved ones. It's okay. But he says, but mourn differently. Don't mourn like those that have no hope. Those that haven't trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. One of the hardest things for me to do as a pastor is to conduct a funeral. It's so difficult. What makes it even more difficult is when I don't know that person intimately that had passed away, I don't know whether that person has trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I don't. I talk to the family and based on what they tell me, again, I'm not saying I can identify who's a believer or not, only God knows, right? But maybe by their fruits. Because when I know that they're a believer, I can use this verse and tell the family there is hope. There is hope. You will see your loved one again. That's God's promise. So you can mourn, but mourn that one day you'll be re- reunited forever and ever and ever. Right. Big difference in mourning with those that have hope and mourning with those that don't. Big difference. Paul goes on and tells us, What is that hope? What is that hope that any believer has to look forward to? This is what he says in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, the gospel, that is the hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, a promise directly from him, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. If you believe in the gospel, if you believe that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, he hung on the cross, and on the third day he rose again for the forgiveness of your sins, if you believe that, then you have that hope. But it's a belief in your heart, not in your head. You trust him as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And God did not leave Jesus in the tomb. He raised him up with the Holy Spirit. God would not leave you and me in the tomb. The same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is going to raise us from the dead. That is the hope that Paul continues to talk about. The good news, the gospel. But there's an order of this resurrection of all believers. Look with me in verse 15, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. What he's saying is that those believers from way, way back, anyone who's put their trust in Jesus Christ that have now gone will rise again. And then we or whoever is alive that time will also rise. Think about that. One day, every single believer will be with Christ. We get to see loved ones. We get to see Old Testament believers, New Testament believers from ages upon ages again reunited with Christ. How is this going to happen? Here's where he breaks down some detail of that day. Verse 16. For the Lord Himself, Jesus Christ, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with a sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, again, He mentions it, will rise first. So, two things that are going to happen there's going to be this voice of command, an angel. And then there's going to be a trumpet. I don't know what angel. Scripture's not clear on that. And I don't know what kind of sound of trumpet it will be. But I do know this. Every person in this planet will know that this is occurring. It's going to be loud. There's no question what's happening. A loud voice, a commanding voice, and then a trumpet sound. You know, as I was reading through the Bible this year, I came across Another reference to the trumpet in Numbers chapter 5, where God tells Moses, every time I want you to assemble my people, the Israelite people, I want you to blow a trumpet. And every trumpet sound had different meanings. In other words, Moses would come up, sound a trumpet, and any time he wanted to have the armies or the men who are capable of fighting and going to war, he'd sound the trumpet in some way. But God told Moses that when you want all his people, all your people to assemble in the front, you're going to sound the trumpet in a long way, a long sound. So I picture that day in the same way. And all of God's people are going to assemble. And we're going to rise and meet our Savior. See him in the clouds. That's encouraging to me. I hope that's an encouragement to you. Waiting for that triumphal entry of the groom picking up his bride. Again, there's going to be an order, and he keeps saying this. Look with me in verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, other saints, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we... For how long? What does it say? I can't hear you. Always. We will always be with the Lord. That's an encouragement, church. Always be with him. Like I mentioned, on that day, for those who trusted Jesus Christ, there will be no more pain. No more sorrow. As a matter of fact we read in Revelation that Jesus himself is gonna wipe away our tears. I know there's a lot of us who've lost loved ones. I know there's a lot of us that are still mourning. But let's have that hope that they put their trust in Jesus Christ. One day, one day we will be with him. And more exciting than that, one day we will all be with eternity with Jesus Christ. So let me recap. There's going to be a commanding voice and then a sound of a trumpet that everyone is going to hear. The whole world will hear this. And then believers who have gone and passed away will rise up first. And then it says that those that are still alive will then rise. We will be raptured. As a matter of fact, that word caught up in Hebrew is harpazo where we get our word raptured, we will be gathered, we will be snatched, we will be lifted up as we just read, and we'll be with him always. Now, some of you are probably wondering, how is that going to happen? There's been many people, believers, that have died a long, long time ago, and their bodies are going to be kind of, I don't know, right? How is that going to happen if I'm still alive during this time, this body that I have now, ee, I don't know about that. My back hurts, my knee, whatever. I'm glad you asked. Because Paul also tells us pretty clearly what's gonna happen on that day. When he writes to the Corinth church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 15, I'm sorry, verses 51 to 53. This is what he says Behold, pay attention. I tell you a mystery. It's a mystery. Only God knows, but he knows what he's going to do. We shall not all all be asleep. There's that word again. But we should all be changed. I love that word, and that's the key word here. We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, as we just uh, read. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall all be changed. Says it twice. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must be put on immortality. We're going to be changed because this body is slowly but surely dying. This body is a sinful body. We're going to put on mortal bodies. We're going to have our glorified bodies. And that's really good news as well. We're going to be changed. I want to just show you a diagram to give you the big picture of the end times and in particular what we're talking about as well, the rapture. So here's what's going to occur at the end times. We're at the present age right now. This is a current church age. We're just read about the rapture of the church where Christ is going to call out all the believers from past and present and be raptured. harpazo, caught up with him. Now picture this, guys. Right now things are bad. Look around. they are horrible. Sin everywhere. I believe the only thing that's really keeping this world the way it is from going really, really crazy is the Holy Spirit. His church. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell in now? Us. The moment we are raptured, the Holy Spirit is no longer here within this church. The Holy Spirit is always present, but when the church is raptured, it's going to get bad. And then starts the tribulation. Seven years of horrific, horrific times. You read about those times in Matthew 24, in Revelation, and you don't want to be present. The first three and a half years are going to be bad. The next three and a half years are going to be really bad. After the tribulation, after those seven years, Christ is going to return. And we believers are going to return with him and reign here. Christ is going to reign here for a thousand years on this earth. And we are told that the enemy, the devil himself, will be bound in chains. He'll be put in the dog pound. And at the end of those 1,000 years, we're going to have the final judgment where it tells us that anybody's name that's in the book of life will enter into the new heaven and to the new earth and be with him for eternity. But those, those that are not, they're going to enter into eternity totally separated from God where it's going to be suffering for eternity. Do you know what the difference is? For those of us that our names are on the book of life, and those that are not, Jesus. That's the difference. Church, I pray that we look at these end times with anticipation. Those of us that put our trust on Jesus Christ, I can't wait for that day. But we also need to look at this day with with a little bit of desperation for those that haven't trusted Jesus Christ. It's not up to us, but it is up to us to share the good word, the good news. So that one day, your family members, your neighbors, can be with those believers for eternity. Paul ends the section of this chapter in verse 18. He says, because of all this... Because of what I just told you, this is the important thing. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. He's not saying don't freak out on what's going to happen. Don't try and figure it out. Don't panic. He says encourage. Come together as his people and say, man, I can't wait for that day until that day comes. Shoulder to shoulder. We got this. No. Jesus has this. Paul mentions again this hope and I love this when I read in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, this is what he says for us to live. He says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our hope. Where one day every knee will bow and every person will glorify the king of kings. So what are we to do? What's the next step? We need to live our lives in awe. Just looking at what God continues to do. Just in awe of how he loves a sinful people like us. I'm going to take it a step further. Awe. What does awe mean? It means that we accept. We accept, first of all, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Not by our works, but it's by grace. It's what he has done for you and for me at the cross. To accept that gift. There's nothing you and I could do to merit our salvation. That's what we need to do. We need to walk. We need to walk as Christians, as the early church did, so others can see who lives in us. Jesus Christ. And then last but not least, we need to encourage one another with that hope. That hope of this day that is to come. I know we're that church, Grace Bible Church. I think this is just a reminder for us to keep walking in a manner that's worthy of our calling. And I can't wait to see you guys on that day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are a loving God, a merciful God. But Father, let's not forget you are a righteous and judgmental God, that you need to deal with sin. And you did, Father. You put your wrath, the wrath that we deserved, on your Son Jesus Christ on the cross, so that anyone who puts their trust in him, that wrath is removed from them, that, that hope that we just talked about is instilled in that person. But those that have not trusted your son as their Lord and Savior, your wrath is still upon them. Father, I pray that we come to you if we haven't trusted your son and ask for forgiveness and ask him to come into our lives to fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit so that wrath can be lifted. And Father, I pray for those that have trusted your Son as Jesus Christ, your church, your bride, to live in awe. in awe and wonder. And anticipation for that glorious day. We love you, Father, and we pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you, church.